My name is Craig Pickett. I'm an executive recruiter. More than a decade ago, I started my practice for one purpose, to use my experience as a former military aviator, business jet sales executive, and P&L leader to help aviation and aerospace companies and their executives be fast, adaptable, and strategic. I do these podcasts to inspire and inform, but more importantly, they are a focused platform to help business leaders grow. Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. Hey, welcome back. I am uh, thrilled to have Brian Foley back with me. Brian, as you'll know, is a, uh, a highly respected aviation industry analyst. He is a, uh, a well-known Forbes contributor, and he writes uh, on numerous topics regarding business aviation and aviation operations. So, hey, uh, Brian, welcome, uh, welcome back. Hey, Craig, good to be back. So uh, 2021 is now upon us. I think everybody is happy. They're delighted. uh, The new year is, everybody is thrilled. The new year is here. Yeah, I'm hopeful that the the, the survival mode is uh, behind us now and people have adapted a little bit to the way things are now. And I'm, I'm confident things will only get better from here in the industry. They've only got one. Uh, well, never, never say never, right? Um, you, 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 you hope you're at the bottom, and there's only one way to go. But uh, you never get too optimistic. But I'm pretty optimistic for 2021. I think uh, my sense is that the recovery will be pretty steep and V-shaped, and um, you know, it, it'll be good. It'll be good across the board. But you know, with that being said, since we're into the new year, let's talk about a couple of. Uh, couple of things that uh, will shape 2021 and maybe make some predictions on, on where business aviation goes. How's that sound? Awesome. So we got five major OEMs, Textron, Bombardier, Dassault, Gulfstream, and Embraer. A lot of people out there saying there's not room for five. There's really only room for four. Do we see some mergers and acquisitions in that space? Do we see some uh, combinations and tie-ups, or do we do see all five of these guys slugging it out um, on their own? Don't don't forget, not not too long ago, there was even one other player in there, Hawker Beechcraft. So there has been some minor um, consolidation in the in the previous years, um, but it's de- definitely you know only you know, 600, six or 700 airplanes that are moving worldwide every year. To, so to, to share that pie, you know, amongst the remaining is, uh, you know, every, everyone's fighting for the market share. Um, I'm sure there's some manufacturers that wish one of the others would go away. Um, but for the moment, at least, um, the product lines of each of them are um, top, top notch or they wouldn't be here today. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But, uh, you know, as far as an Im- imminent uh, get together, um, you know, maybe something could happen in 2021. Um, as you know, Bombardier just went into a pure play um, business jet manufacturer position. Um, so maybe th- th- there'd be some, you know, possibilities with a tie up there. Um, I don't see it with the other manufacturers, but um, who, who knows if, if, if something were to happen, um, it could involve Bombardier. Yeah. I mean, Bombardier makes a great airplane. The Challenger 350, you know, Challenger 300, 350 absolutely defined the super mid 
cabin. Um, I think there's a, there's a boatload of them out there. It's starting to get, you know, now it's a, it's becoming a 20 year old design. How much do they need to invest in that product line? It's getting a little long in the tooth in the middle with the, the 350 and the 650, which, which really hasn't had a, a facelift <laughs> in many years. Um, however, on their, you know, arguably most profitable line, the Global Express, they've, they've got all fresh equipment in there. So they're, they're sitting pretty. Uh, but you bring up a good point. Um, not not only the you know mid market um, Challenger series, but also the entry level Learjet series is ready for for a little buffing up, and that takes a bunch of money. Yeah, that's tough though. Not a lot of money to be made. You know, it's selling ten million dollar airplanes. By the time you get all done with your your development costs, your certification costs, tooling, etc. Well, you, it's a hard you, way to make. It's a hard way to make a living, isn't it? No, no, you make it up in volume, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah the, that the, the, the smaller stuff is generally the lower margin stuff so it's not a fun um, sandbox to play in but um, where Bombardier is positioned in the ultra long range um, that, that, that's a great place to be and e- even though big cabins are have were, were kind of a sleeper cell in 2020 since there wasn't a lot of international travel and a lot of you know borders were closed down um, that, it, it'll do okay that, that'll recover and I think Bombardier will, you know, find that to be their, their, their cash cow going forward, actually. Yeah. So, okay. I'm going to go out. I'm going to be, uh, you know, people who know me know I don't mix words. Mince <laughs> words very easily. Will China always be a business aviation fad? Has China <laughs> come, has China kind of come and gone? Um, or do you think it ever really becomes a market for business aircraft? Yeah, it's funny. China was always that uh, region of the world, and not not just recently, not just within the past 10 years, but within the past 20 or 30 years, it was always just around the corner where it was going to light on fire. And, and, uh, you know, great, great business would would come from that. Um, They did take a little pause uh, last year and the year before. Um, Their economy kind of slowed down. Um, There was a lot of... uh, um, the desire to not, not be seen in a business jet and not to be so conspicuous. So that slowed things down a little bit, but, but in, 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 in time, it, it'll come back on its own. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to be the um, overnight biggest market in the world, but it'll, it'll be a nice adjunct um, for, for the foreseeable future. So you think um, China really is a market? Yeah. Re- re- remember, there's not a whole lot of airports there either to, or an infrastructure to support it. So it's not just a matter of, you know, how big the market is. It's being able to, um, you know, feed and house these airplanes once they're there and have them you know, fly efficiently through the airspace. Gotcha. So let's move on from the, the new airplanes to the pre-owned market. I am, I am bl- blown away by the pre-owned market, you know, back, back in, First, let me preface this. In, in the industry, I'm a little bit of a stick in the mud, typically. I'm one of the more conservative folks out there. And in March, when there were lockdowns, people couldn't get out and see their airplanes or have pre-purchase inspections done or have uh, you know, a, 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 any kind of interaction with the plane they were buying, I, I thought it was uh, you know, going to be sunk for the year. Right. But somehow... Um, after March, you know, going into April, May, the flames started fanning a little bit more and started picking up. And I just finished a little analysis 
on pre-owned sales in 2020 compared to 2019. Mm-hmm. And it's up across the board. Um, smaller, small pre-owned airplanes did really well. They, they knocked it out of the park, as did uh, medium-sized. Um, everyone says, you know, big, big cabin just got hammered last year. But the fact is, they're about on par with 2019 So in pre-owned. So they didn't do too bad. Um, so overall, 2020 pre-owned sales will um, out, outgun 2019, which wasn't too shabby a year. Um, so it's just remarkable and, and gratifying that some segment of our industry you know, did well through 2020. And I see no reason that that momentum will carry through um, this year as well. I think it's cheap money. New yeah, taxes. You know, hey, look, yeah. if Biden changes the tax rules, you know, it's, you know, you got cheap money now, people can finance it cheap. You know, if that, taxes, that corporate taxes go up, it's a bigger write-off. Yeah. And no one, no one wants to get cooties on the airliners. Even if there's a vaccine, there's going to be some folks still looking for alternative travel. Well, well that comes to mind, you know, like, you know, we talked about, you know, pre-owned. I, look, I think, I, I think that the, the Duncans of the world, the Standard Arrows, the West Stars, you know, your third-party MROs are going to be incredibly busy. I think your uh, your OEM-supported service centers are going to be incredibly busy. I think they're going to be full of people buying airplanes. They want to paint an interior. They want avionics upgrades, you know, go-go, et cetera. I think the hangars are going to be full. I, actually, I think the MROs get pricing power. Surprisingly enough, I think this is one year that the MROs really have pricing power over, over their stuff. So, yeah, we'll see. I hope I'm right. I hope I'm right yeah. there. Yeah, it's been an interesting dynamic to watch. You know, I, I keep close to those folks, the FBO people, and they're all dependent on airplane utilization. Mm-hmm. And for those that keep up with the industry, they'll, they'll know that, you know, a, a airliner use, you know, went down 60, 70 percent. It was probably even higher in the, in, in March, um, whereas business aviation um, t- typically has been down 15 to you know, 20% for the year. So it's, it's not too bad. Um, but as you can imagine, when utilization goes down, that means people aren't buying as much gas. So FBOs uh, suffered, um, particularly back in the March timeframe when some reported a 90% drop in business. Um, but that that's come back since then, you know, that, that, that was during the worst time. Um, but MROs, you know, they're dependent on, you know, people taking off and landing and running hours. And I think overall from, you know, field intelligence, I'd estimate um, for the MROs, FBOs, you know, they'll be down maybe 15 to 20% for the year, which is the same as the the utilization was down. Um, People come back and say, no, we're doing a lot better. And yes, there are exceptions depending on your your region and where you are. Mm -hmm. Um, I was talking to one MRO chain just the other day and um, what, what's interesting is they, they actually have um, um, clients trying to jump in front of each other for their paint hangers. So someone who wants a paint job right now is actually buying out the person in, um, ahead of them and just swapping places for a price just to get paint. So that's one of those good stories. Um, but I have no, no doubt, um, you know, business travel was off Um you know, substantially this year, but business aviation was only down 15%. So I, I've got to think that people are now doing a lot more leisure travel on business jets. Uh, maybe there's some new newcomers. Ho- hopefully they'll stick around after the airlines are you know safe again. Um, but 
my 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 point is, you know, once business travel does come back to business aviation, we, we could be up above prior um, utilization levels because generally business is, you know, 50 percent of the demand of business jets. And that's been gone and we're only down 15 percent. So um, it, when, when business comes back, we could uh, have our cup uh, flowing over here, hopefully, which which benefits MROs and FBOs. Yeah, look, I think that the the airlines, there's the airlines are going to take a long time. And I think you're. Well, I think the airlines won't necessarily take that long time in some sense, but here's what will change is your, your, your smaller cities like Louisville or Omaha or Amarillo, Texas or whatever that are mostly supported by regional jets. I think their, their schedules get cut back. I think their service gets cut back. I think the prices go up and you've got companies that are, 10 million to $100 million to become first time business users. And it's like, you know, like, you know, they, they start to use it like crack. It's not that much different than, you know, the cost becomes competitive with the airlines. You know, King Air or a CJ4, a friend of mine just bought a TBM, used to a pre owned TBM for that reason. He's, only, he's got a $10 million business. Um, but you know, he travels a lot and the airlines can't do it for him. He wanted something a little bit quicker than a than a King Air. So he went and bought a, a TBM. So uh, I think NetJets, FlexJet, the Part 135 guys see a big uptick in uh, business in 2021 and 2022. And I used to fly in the military. Do you still keep any kind of stick time in? Or No. no. I wish I did. I got to start. Out. Yeah, you know, I got I to gotta get back into it. Um, That's yeah. for another day, though. I'm like sitting there going, "Yeah, I should, I should go back and start doing it again." But um, no, I really haven't. I just kind of, I kind of gave it up and uh, just became an industry follower. But uh, yeah, it's like my next door neighbor's got a brand new 182, and uh, you know, we go fly that. So it's oh, fun. It's like yeah, a boat. So, it's like yeah. a boat. It's, it's like a boat. The best airplane to have is your buddy's airplane, right? <laughs> Something to be said about that for sure. What about eVTOL? eVTOL is like everybody's everybody's developing an eVTOL. Uh, urban mobility. <laughs> is it real? There's two sides of the fence. And you're either on one side or the other. Um, there's the side of the fence that this is disruptive technology. And it's going to just change the whole landscape of how people travel um, in, in cities and between you know, regional points. And, you know, some investors um, believe that, too. And they're putting, you know, some chips down on the different uh, you know, potential winners, you know, if this thing does come out the other end and, and is successful. Um, there's the others that are a little bit curious on how this might work. I mean, we've had helicopter services for years, which, which isn't all that much different. Um, there's some that are concerned about the noise. I mean, they, these things are just kind of overgrown drones and you, you know how much noise a hobby drone makes. And these, these are, you know, can be pretty noisy too. So some people have problems wrapping their head around these, uh, you know, darkening the skies over a city when, when they make noise. So, right. um, now there, there's been other instances in general aviation where this has happened and I'll, I'll point to the, um, eclipse, um, back a number of years ago when, you know, this, this too is a disruptive technology. Um, you know, I think a billion and a half was, uh, 
was invested in it before it ended up being a, a smoking crater in the ground. Yes, yeah. Um, but but this is this is different. Um, it's hard to explain, but compared to then, you know, you have Silicon Valley behind this. You know, multiple investors. And my my thought is, you know, an investor from there has a let's say a hundred doubloons <laughs> to, to put on different spaces. And they're just putting on one on aviation and they got 99, you know, they, they can put 20 on, you know, tech and another 30 on, you know, the next great thing. So it's, it's, it's even though it seems like a big number to us, it's just kind of pocket change to them and they yeah. hope it's a return. Um, so that's different. Um, the, the FAA is jumping aboard on this and they're, they're really trying to accommodate, uh, you know, how these things work in the airspace and how the, the certification gets done. Um, so there's cooperation from that end. Um, so it's, and I should add, uh, the Air Force just um, made some kind of provisional approval of, of one of the designs, you know, that, that they may use, you know, to transport their own people mm-hmm. around. So now you don't only have a civil market, you have a military market, too. So at the moment, there's about as many arguments on why this is going to see, succeed <laughs> as there are, you know, why, how it's not going to succeed. So, you know, may, maybe we'll find a trial um, market niche for it initially and, and maybe they'll find a way to expand that later on. Yeah. Look, you know, look, you know, it's, it's, you know, um, full disclosure. I'm, I'm a little bit of a, um, I'm a late adopter to, th- you know, I'm not an early adopter to things. Like I think it's cool. I like what people are doing. I love the innovation. I see nothing wrong with the innovation. You know, there's no downside to it. I just look at like urban mobility and I go, well, I could do that with a Robinson. You know, I could do it with an RU20, R24, an R42 or an R44. Why don't I just figure out how to put a battery pack on that, you know, on that platform and you know, do it, right? So, you know, yeah, obviously there's, you know, the military, like you said, the military uses, whatever else. I'm, I'm sort of watching it. I'm going, okay, I'm not convinced yet, but I'm certainly not the smartest person in the room either. So. Um, I'm interested to see what, what happens with it. I like what, uh, I like what some of the guys in Seattle are doing. They're you know, putting the electric you know, motors onto caravans, you know, and thinking about, Hey, look, let's just use this, you know, get rid of the PT six, put electric motors on it. We, you, we can use it for, you know, you know, short stage passenger travel or cargo. Um, that I think is a very real business model. Yeah. If, if it's the one I remember too, that, that has the capability, um, you know, to, 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 you know, for autonomous flight as well. And they're, you know, yeah. looking at doing tests, but, you know, similarly, there's a couple other programs out there, everything from a, a piper that's hydrogen powered that that's flying if it's not on the drawing board um, to some, you know, Cessna push poles uh, mm-hmm. that are at least one engine electric. Yep. And, uh, and some, Oh, the beaver there, there's a, that's right. <laughs> a, yeah. a float plane out there that's in that configuration and getting some airtime as well. So it's, mm-hmm. it's slowly catching on, you know, it's very niche and, and preliminary, but um, you know, it's, it's starting to slowly open up. Well, but you know, you think about like Amazon, or you know, you got you know, some of these. Uh, you got Alpine Air out in Utah. They fly caravans, not caravans. I'm sorry, they fly um, Beach 1900s, single pilot Beach 1900s, and cargo service for Amazon. Um, 
you know, you know, yeah, obviously Amazon has a big need for that. And you're going, Hey, look, if, you know, you know, if you're flying a hundred, you're flying, you know, 1500, 2000, 2,500 pounds of overnight air freight, 500 miles or 200 miles or 250. Maybe this is a real deal. I mean, it, uh, you know, the numbers start to work out. So, um, that I'm really interested in watching move forward. Yeah, and and you know the, the the economics can really help that too because you you've seen the number of moving parts in a reciprocating engine, <laughs> yeah, and then replacing it with a you know little little wound electric motor that doesn't require any of you know much of any maintenance is just a really you know right. big deal as far as the operating costs. So, or the you know, fact it, that you take a PT6, you you know what's a PT6 cost? On an overhaul, yeah, that's a couple hundred thousand bucks, right? So a pretty, a pretty penny. Yes, <laughs> yes. I mean that uh, everybody loves their turboprop until it comes time for overhaul, and then you're not in love with it anymore. So yeah, no, I've I've, I've talked to folks with with Teslas that have had them, you know, a year or two, and the, the most they've done is replaced the uh, you know windshield wiper fluid or added to it. <laughs> <and that's laughs> exactly. Yeah, no oil, no oil needed, right? No, no oil no. changes needed. But uh, no. all right, so let's go to your favorite subject, supersonic. Oh yes. <laughs> so we got uh, you got you got the guys, uh, Larian down in uh, in Melbourne, Florida. Now you got Boom over in Denver. Spike, you're on the. Uh, I know you're on the advisory board with Spike. Um, Air Force wants to supersonic. You know the. You know, look, it's. Uh, how far, you know, you and I talked about it before. I think it's real. How far away is it? What's the market? Yeah, I'm close to supersonic. Uh, for those that don't know, I worked at the SO Falcon Jet for many years um, be- before going off on my own. But one of my responsibilities there was to kind of take a look at the supersonic segment every so often. And, um, you know, we, we even announced, you know, t- temporarily at least, uh, a, a product, you know, back in the day, um, I can tell you Gulfstream's looking at it and, and other manufacturers, but kind of fast forward to today. And maybe we spoke of this earlier, but think, think of the, you know, cabin spectrum of private airplanes today. And it's from the very tiny flying phone booth, which is the Cirrus uh, SF50, which is a single engine jet, right? you know, all the way up to airliners in um, business jet configuration and, and really no room in the product spectrum in between just every little space is filled by some product out there right so the argument becomes if there's no more you know niche for a you know a range slash cabin size on the business jet product spectrum where do you go and the reasonable conclusion is you go faster because none of those on that uh, product line can go you know more than you know 0.9 whatever right um, so why not make it fly faster? And and maybe now is the time to be looking at that because there are, um, you know, technology break breakthroughs in, in aerodynamics and propulsion and you know electronics that can help maybe mitigate the the boom a little bit and make it possible. And you mentioned the Air Force, and I I I suspect there is a you know a civil and military need for a product like that. You know, in, in the military, they can't, you know, move people supersonically unless a strap <laughs> strap mm-hmm. into a, uh, you know, a fighter jet and get refueled. B-1, B-1 bomber, right? Or something. Yeah. yeah, but it would seem to me in the Air Force inventory, having a, you know, business jet 
cabin size uh, supersonic jet. You could put people in it. You could put, uh, you know, stuff in it and, and get it to the other side of the world pretty quick. So I, I think to, for this to work, the, it, it's going to need government support. And uh, and the, the Air Force is expressing that interest right now. Do the uh, do you think that there's enough money to be made in this thing for, you know, an independent manufacturer to design, develop, certify, and build its own airplane. I mean, you're, you're starting to talk. I, I got to think now you're starting to push north of 150 to, to 200 million bucks per copy. Now, again, you've got a G700 or G, you know, you know, Global 7500 and G700 out there now that are pushing 60 to 70 million or, you know, Will companies and high net worth individuals pay double that or more to go supersonic? Well, the thing is, the, the manufacturer of this, whether it be an independent or traditional OEM, they'd have a little pricing power because there's nothing else out there that could do that. So maybe it could be economically interesting. Um, most of the um, public um, forecasts out there as far as how many will be sold. Um, it, it's almost consistently three, 300 over 10 years. So it's not a huge volume business, but if uh -huh. you could sort of name your own price as the seller, um, you know, even those low numbers could be interesting. Yeah, I got you. No, I'm, I'm watching that one with bated breath. I mean, that one I think is very real. Um, it doesn't come with its challenges. No, but, and, uh, and, and you made a good point, you know, for, for someone to come, you know, brand new into the aircraft manufacturing business, um, you know, they, they, time might be better spent looking for a partner to, you know, help you out there once you get to the point where, you know, production becomes reality. Exactly. Exactly. So we'll, we'll continue to see that one. All right. Let, I think this is the biggest topic of 2021. Environmental, green, the need for green. So we don't get flight shamed anymore. Yes. And it just, uh, I, I, you know, I watch the stock market from time to time and one of the hottest performing uh, ETFs today, as we speak in early January is the, 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 the clean ETFs, if you will, the renewable energy. And the thought process there of investors is that we have a new person coming into the white house that has, uh, you know, kind of a, uh, an environment leaning, uh, you know, I idea. So that could even become more of a factor as we go forward. It, it, it had already been building momentum, you know, before the pandemic and people, you know, kind of put it on the side burner temporarily, but it, it's back out there full bore. Um, so for, for sure, manufacturers will be looking at ways to, uh, you know, do, do something a little greener um, End users of airplanes will be doing the same thing. It's uh, just going to become a bigger and bigger deal as we go forward. Does carbon arbitrage become a business for like universal weather? Some of these flight planning, you know, hey, look for 250 bucks. You know, we'll find an offset or 350 or 500 bucks or whatever the, whatever the number is. Does that become a big business for? Yes. It's happening already, and in, and in fact, uh, you know, when flight shaming first took off, I believe it was Ryanair, which is the big carrier in Europe, um, yeah. offered um, travelers when they bought their ticket, you know, a, a little place to 
you know, buy carbon offsets for themselves. If they felt guilty about that trip, they could do it. And today, that's exactly what's happening. Some of the larger, you know, FBOs are uh, offering this. So when you fill up, you can get your carbon offset uh, added at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's all different kinds of schemes to, uh, you know, be able to offset the carbon use. Does it become mandatory? Do you think at some point? In, you know, Europe, I, I don't think, I don't worry necessarily about the United States, but I think about Europe where it's, you know, you know, high, you know, high visibility. Europe it thinks a little differently than the United States about business jets. I, I would New not, Zealand, I would, I hadn't thought of that, but I would not uh, say that that's out of the question over time. And it might begin, you know, as a, a government effort for their own fleets that that were doing this, and then that could expand to private. Um, you know, it'd be a little sad if the government has to mandate things like that. But I think just for good PR, um, you know, private companies will be motivated to do it on their own uh, for optics, at least. Yeah, no, you think so too. I just wonder about you know, hey, look, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, it, it alleviates a lot of the criticism. That you know, people have you know. Look, the, the world is changing. That's just the way I you know way I look at it is the world well, is changing. You know, popular well, you know populism is taking hold in Europe. It's you know it took hold in the United States. New administration coming in. You know, an, an analogy to that in the U.S. is when you you, you pull up to the gas station with your car, you're going to have what ten or fifteen percent ethanol. So yeah. so it's not, and that's a government mandate. So it's not beyond the realm of possibility that they put the, you know, something greener in there. Who knows? Yeah. Where, where, who knows? Everybody has to buy it. <laughs> who knows? So what's your wildest prediction? We'll finish it. We'll finish it on up on this. And I am going to completely unapologetically put you on the spot. No, no, not, not at all. What's your uh, biggest prediction for 2021? My, my biggest prediction in 2021 is that my old prediction uh, needs to be updated again, being, conservative and kind of holding back a little bit um you know for reference the the the, the new airplane deliveries for 2020 should be off about 30 percent and, and and that's a, a done deal um i had originally forecasted that new deliveries would come back maybe 15 percent over that um you know somewhere in the middle um but i think i have to raise that forecast i think things are going to improve more than anyone's expecting right now um, part of my reasoning, and we alluded to it before, is just the strength of the, the, the pre-owned market, uh, you know, out, outdoing 2019. And over history, generally, um, you know, the, 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 the tide raises all boats. And when pre-owned does well, generally new does well and, and vice versa. And then there might be a little tag, you know, time lag between the two, but just, just based on the performance of pre-owned, I'm a little more bullish on, on new sales as well. So that should help the manufacturing end. And I've already told you that um, regarding utilization that a lot of people follow, um, business travel was gone for us last year, but uh, the industry only saw a 15% reduction in utilization. So I, I question when business travel comes back, what's going to happen you know, to overall utilization. And I could argue that it's going to be you know, higher than previous years. So, you know, my, my biggest surprise is I'm a surprise to myself that I'm actually dusting off my old forecast. And I think I have to be, uh, you know, a little more open-minded right. that, that, that there might be some nice surprises this year. 
Good for you. Strength of the dollar. It's weak. Does the weakness in the dollar help sales? Well, um, Mark, with yes. with any with any real, you know, with any. Oh, real... it 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 does because as as you know, business jets are priced. Yep. In U.S. dollars, so when the dollar is weak, it's cheaper overseas. And yep. you know, we we brought up investors before. And investors don't think the U.S. stock market is going to grow as much as emerging markets. Yep. So imagine emerging markets starting to roar back at the same time the dollar's cheap and and connect the dots. We we could have some nice uh, off, offshore sales, you know, versus what's largely been domestic lately yep. in the U.S. I got you. I hear you, yeah. Brian. Hey, thanks for, thank you for coming back on. Always a always a pleasure having you on the uh, the podcast. Yes, it is fun. It's like the, it's like the fireside chat, Craig. There you go. Hey, there you go. We'll do it again. All right. So we got to catch up in a couple months, and we'll see how we're doing on all these things. How's that sound? Great, great. Take, take care, all. Thanks, Brian. Talk soon. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig at NorthStarESG.com, or check us out at www.NorthStarESG.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube. Just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pippen.